Blog Talk Radio. Mets. I mean, they uh, 
They started three and one, like I said, playing seven fifty ball, <laughs> and then just went into a nosedive and became the worst team in baseball. And then just recently won six games in a row. Unfortunately, lost tonight. Would have been nice to win seven games in a row going to Philadelphia. But DG, can you break down the Mets' first month of the baseball season? Well, you know, the truth of the matter is that the Mets have done what they need to do, sir. You know, they've uh, they're about where they where we expect them to be. A couple of games under 500, like you said. Unfortunately, they did lose tonight's game, which of course puts a damper on the night. But uh, you know, the truth be told, the Mets. The Mets seem to be streaky. The Mets seem to be inconsistent. The Mets seem to be exactly what the record indicated. Team that's a few games under 500. I mean, yeah, you know, we're fans, and we're always going to be fans. And you know, unfortunately, we're, we're going to stick with them through the thick and thin. And usually, it's just not that thick. It's just pretty thin on the, on the negative side. But the pitching has been. I don't know, Joe. To be honest with you, it's exactly what the Mets are. Where I expect them to be. I don't expect them to be above 500. You know, to be quite honest, right now they're, uh, you know, they're in last place. They're 11 and 14. Um, you know, the Nationals, I believe, they haven't finished their game yet. Started their game. They're playing tonight against the Giants or tomorrow against the Giants, excuse me. So uh, the truth is that, you know, with the, with the Nationals beating the Mets today and, and, and breaking the streak, the Mets are back in the cellar. Um, they're five and a half games out of first. They're seven and three in their last ten games, which is a great turnaround. Because at one point they were five and thirteen, which is eight games under five hundred. They're six and six on the road. They're five and eight at home, so they've they've come a long way at home. But uh, Joe, I mean, what what do you think, man? You know, the offense has been inconsistent. Jason Bay coming back has been a big help. Ike Davis has been a monster behind the plate. Uh, you know, knocking balls out of the park, getting moonshots, and. Uh, well, you look at their pitching, Pelfrey hasn't been great. Uh, you know, Dickey has not been that great. Nice has not been that great. They've been, you know, the best pitcher probably is Chris Young so far. And, uh, you know, he's either, he came back yesterday and didn't pitch that great. So, you know, what, what do you think, sir? Give us your expert opinion. Well, looking at it, you know, the month as a whole, I think that just going in, you know, we were we were obviously disappointed the fact that Jason Bay started the season on the DL, which would, you know, really hurt the team, I think, offensively. But then when I look at the, the starting pitching, and I, I really expected, uh, I guess, R.A. Dickey to have a better start to the month of April. I guess it's still early for him. But even Mike Pelfrey, for example, I really expected a lot more than him. And John Neese, I thought he would have been really a solid number two or number three pitcher for this team. And they just really haven't really panned out. I mean, like I said, Mike Pelfrey had a nice start, his last start, but Nice and R.A. Dickey, if, if they're not going to have a good season like they did last year, I don't think this team finishes where we thought they finish, um, you know, right around 500. I think they might actually win only about 70 to 75 games, D.G., especially since Johan Santana's on the DL. And who knows what Johan Santana's going to be when he does come back. That's true. If and when he comes back, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is when you look at the starting rotation, I mean, what, like I said, what, what could we really have expected from this team? Yeah, we could expect them to be a little bit better, but it's only a month into the season. Um, you know, so you have to temper your – I guess you have to temper our, any positive things that we could say because, of course, you know, PG is all about the negativity because negativity is what gets our ratings. But, you know, a month from now, I expect the Mets to have a flip-flop record and be at 500. You know, I expect them to be at 14 and 11 in the next, you know, 25 games and then end up being uh, exactly at 500 because their their rotation is just not that good, sir. The bullpen is inconsistent. You know, they've, they've released guys. They've released, uh, you know, uh, what the hell, the Blaine Boyer, whatever that guy's name is. They put uh, 
DJ Carrasco down in the minors, and he's, you know, doing jack squat. Frankie Rodriguez is Frankie Rodriguez. Isringhausen is a nice story, definitely on that on that note. Um, and, you know, they they got rid of their second baseman, uh, Emus, after only a couple of weeks. So the the good thing in the sense that the Mets have not been afraid of getting rid of people and changing people and uh, shuffling things up just because, oh, this person has a contract and this person has signed, which I like because typically the Mets under Omar would have been stuck with this guy for, you know, the entire season and then not done anything. And, you know, of course, we as fans would have been upset like we were when, uh, you know, guys like Luis Castillo and Oliver Perez were hanging around the, the bushes, as it were. So, uh, you know, JB, that, that, I, I would say that would be my uh, expert analysis on the New York Metropolitans. Yep, I, I agree with you. If if we were looking at just, just giving out some grades, um, what would you give um, the starting pitching as a grade? Um, honestly, I would give it a D because it's these guys are just not that good. They're trying to, you know, hold water. Actually, no, I'll give them a C plus. Let me be kind and generous there. What about you? What would you give them? I would give them a C plus as well. I just think that they could definitely they could definitely improve upon this month of April. But uh, R.A. Dickey, hopefully, as the more and more pitches he he throws, will get more control of that knuckleball, that hard knuckleball. And I hope that Mike Pelfrey will now build upon that last performance that he had and start, you know, being the Mike Pelfrey of last year. And hopefully John Neese just gets the ball down because, like, he's been giving up way too many homers. Um, so, yeah, I give him a C to a C plus. Uh, what about the uh, offense? Well, let me uh, let me comment on the Pelfrey thing. I mean, isn't Pelfrey okay. kind of injured right now, sir? He must be. Because uh, the Mets are, you know, bringing him along slowly. He's not on the table list or anything like that, but he's probably, like, one step away from that. Um, as, you know, the truth is that, the rotation is what it is, and um, these guys are not stud pitchers. These guys are not aces. These guys are not Johan Santana. So I don't know what we could really expect from them. The offense, I, I, I honestly, I think I give the offense a B plus, considering they didn't have Bay most of the year. Beltran is not his former self. He can't run worth a lick. But Reyes has been productive. Wright has been productive. Davis is continuing a, a great rookie campaign into a solid second year so far. And, I really think that Ike Davis is going to be a big-time RBI guy for the Mets, and he's going to be manning that first base for a long time to come, sir. So I, I'm definitely uh, I'm, I'm happy with uh, with what they've gotten out of their uh, their uh, lineup, sir. What about you? I'll definitely give the the offense a B. And the only thing that concerns me is that if this team uh, continues to play either 500 or below 500, and they're and they have a good offense, and and like Jose Reyes is having a good year. I just think this is just a um it's like a double edged sword because I think that the Mets will then look to uh unload him because I don't know if Reyes wants to re sign here before testing the free agent waters to be honest with you. So I do give the offense a B. I think that, you know, with Jason Bay back I think that this offense is really much better than it was without him, obviously. And Daniel Murphy at second base is better than Emus at second base offensively. So, um, you know, We'll see where they – hopefully that – you know, David Wright to me is uh, – over the years, DG, he's like a stats guy. He's like – he doesn't come through in the clutch, and he's, you know, he's not that player that you could really rely on for a big hit in the eighth inning if you're down a run with, like, men in scoring position. Yeah, you're 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 right, but, you know, I mean, he's – I don't think he's as bad as everybody says that he is, sir. I honestly think that, you know, he's got some uh, – you know, he's got some potential, and, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see where that goes, sir. Let me ask you, 
if you had, if you were the Mets GM, considering the situation that the Mets are in financially, who would you look to trade first? Would you look to trade a Reyes or a Wright first? I would say Reyes only because he's a, he's an expiring contract, and uh, you know pretty much the idea, the idea is uh, sorry I have uh, Jose our media director sending me some notes on something completely unrelated to what we're talking about, distracting oh, okay. me like he always does. Um, always. I think that you'd have to get rid of the Reyes first if you're going to get rid of them, only because it's an expiring contract and people would be more inclined to actually pick him up as opposed to Wright, who I think is another year or so on his contract. All right. So we have the offense. How about the – I mean, this is an easy grade, but what do you give the defense? <laughs> the defense, I would say uh, F because it's – you know, what, what pisses me off, Joe, is the fact that the Mets are exactly like they were last year, but only worse because you think that they're good <laughs> – you think that, you know, they can get the job done. You think it's a different manager, a different style, or whatever the case is. But the truth is they're not. They're worse. The Mets don't seem to be able to make fundamental baseball plays. And, you know, I try to punch them in the face sometimes. Not always, just I sometimes. Think, I think you use one of those yogiisms or what we call it here on Pure Gold, the Joe B-isms, because you said they're exactly like they were last year, only worse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry, nice. Yogi. Uh, sorry for stealing your lines, but no. The reason I say that they're worse is because they were supposed to be better. There was this was supposed to be an improved year. Uh, Terry Collins is talking about how the Mets are going to be a better defensive team. The Mets are going to be this. The Mets are going to be that. They're going to do the fundamentals. The truth is they have not been able to, you know, take care of the fundamentals, and that that's frustrating to me as a fan of the New York Metropolitans. Totally agree with you, hundred percent. When I think of a team defensively sound. And not that well, like given you know they're not given that much prop. Is like a team like always, like the Minnesota Twins. They always catch the ball. They always, you know, they always make the right plays. They always hit the cutoff man. I think um, if the Mets would actually play some kind of you know the same kind of ball as Minnesota, I don't think Mets fans would be as down as they are. You know, with this team defensively, this team definitely gets an F defensively. They just they just really sucked it up in, in the month of April. Let's hope that they could uh, start catching the ball and start making the the plays that little leaguers can definitely make uh, at their age. So uh, definitely give the defense an F. And then uh, finally, the bullpen, probably another F, right, DG? Yeah, I agree, sir. Um, <laughs> there's another letter I want to add at the end of that, but, you know, I, this is a family show, so we can't go there. I don't want to be – I don't want to offend anybody, but the truth of the matter is that <laughs> that the Mets are just an absolute disgrace. <laughs> you know, if Vince McMahon was here, he would have to say, you are fired, collectively to the entire uh, to the entire bullpen because they're awful, sir. They're absolutely terrible, and I hate them, and they make us all sick. <laughs> so now that we've graded each specific category, what would you give the overall grade for the month of April? Uh, I would probably say a C-, minus, sir. Uh, you know, I don't know how much better you can get than that. What about you? Yeah, I was going to go with a C- minus or a D on that because they're below 500. They're in last place. And, you know, for for half of the month, they were non-competitive and they were just – they looked like a team that was going to lose over 100 games at one point. But they bounced back nicely. You're absolutely right, sir. Well, um, you think that uh, – isn't the Mets are going to turn around? Give me your honest opinion. I think that this is what you're going to expect every month or every game that, from the Mets. I think it's going to be – an up and down roller coaster ride for the the whole year. 
And if the Mets decide that, yeah, by July that they, they could start selling off pieces because Beltran's having a great year or they could get something for Reyes, I think that they'll become definitely big-time sellers this year um, and then just look to build for the you know the next couple of years, and hopefully they will be able to do that. You know, we have, tr- we, we have to have faith in this new GM and this new uh, regime in the front office. Um, you know, it's it's better than last year's uh, regime in the last couple of years. So we have to have faith that this this front office knows what they're doing. They have a long-term plan, and they hopefully will stick with it. I agree. Um, I definitely agree that the Mets need to. We, you know, we need to give them some time. We need to look at this team and say, let's let's let it go. Let's let it slide. Let it let's let them do what they need to do, and let our boy Sandy Olsen take the time and take the. You know the the patience that that he needs because the truth is he's in, he inherited a mess, and somebody needs to fix it. And you know what? If we're gonna give him time, I believe that give it enough time, he will fix it. But we can't just expect him to turn around 180 degrees in uh, you know a couple of days. There, it, it, this is gonna take time. This is gonna go back to back in a belly to belly. There's just no if fans are buts about it, sir. Folks, we're talking Mets baseball. We're talking about Major League Baseball going around the horn. Seven one four three six four four seven two one. DG, there's a team that, you know, on the other side of uh, New York that we don't really talk about, and that's the New York Yankees. So, I mean, they're 13-8. and eight. They, I think they're winning tonight big 9 nothing over the White Sox, so they're going to go 14-8. and eight. Give me uh, just some general thoughts about the month of April for the, for the New York Yankees. Um, They suck, and I'm happy that, uh, you know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say I'm happy that their guys are injured, but the truth of the matter is that I'm not, you know, you never, you never wish uh, ill upon anybody. And, you know, whether it's Phil Hughes or Al Hughes. Well, maybe Al Hughes we do. But aside from that, you know, the truth is the Yankees are in first place. They're, they've been a little up and down, losing to the White Sox. They won uh, yesterday. Our producer, Fitz, who's a big Yankee fan, was, and, you know, he needs to get fired for that, was actually at the game, so he was excited about that. But, um, you know, it, it's nice to know that uh, the Yankees aren't running away with anything yet, and the Red Sox are, you know, have been playing pretty well lately, and they got out of a gutter, as it were, so... Um, the truth is that the Yankees need 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 some help. Cologne has been good, right? You know, let, let's let's be honest. But how long is that going to last? How long is that sloppy jalopy going to keep going forward? You know, right now they're thirteen and eight. Um, you know, they're playing uh, playing five games over five hundred. That you know they're doing pretty good. So you know, the, their their record at home has really been stellar. They haven't played too many road games. So I think that you know with the the, the little lead game and a half that they have or two games over the over the Rays. And uh, you know the Red Sox are only 11 and 13. They're all, after that horrific 0 and 7 starts there, you know the the Red Sox have have basically gone uh, 11 and 4, which is great. And I think that they're going to keep the you know the pain coming as it were. But truthfully, I think the Yankees are you know exactly where we expect them to be. Aaron's putting up some gaudy numbers, and you know Jeet and all those other tools and techs. And what does surprise me, sir, is that Mark Teixeira has not been atrocious because you know Teixeira usually are. Sending text messages to people, and, you know, probably why he sucks so much in April. But uh, you know, the Yankees won today again, twelve to three. So they they, they put they fired a beating on the on the White Sox there. I'm sure Todd will get into that in his uh, wonderful update where he never gives any scores. But uh, you know, as I ramble on here, I think that the Yankees are you know exactly where we expect them to be, sir. Uh, you know, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. How would you uh, how would you grade this this slop fest? I think that their their bullpen is not as you know the, as dominant as they thought they would be. I mean, Soriano has been giving up uh, runs uh, late in games um, lately, so 
And I think Mariano is starting to show his age as well. He has a couple of blown saves himself. So um, that would concern me a little bit as the season goes on if I'm a Yankee fan. Um, Jeter finally started to hit the ball again. But, you know, in the first for the first three weeks of the month of April, Jeter wasn't worth, hitting worth a lick, and either was Brett Gardner. So uh, at least Jeter got a four-hit game uh, a couple nights ago. So he is coming around. But you never know with Jeter. I mean, could this be, you know, his decline year? I mean, uh, the year that he only bats like, you know, 230, 240 and, and just doesn't drive any runs in or doesn't score a lot of runs. So uh, we'll see where that goes. But, you know, A-Rod is still the man, you know, the roid man, the A-Roid, as we call him here on PG. Um, you know, of course. In, in general, the team is doing good. The record's good. They have the second best record in Major League Baseball. I mean, the Red Sox are back in it, so Shannon doesn't have to worry about committing suicide. So that's a plus, and, you know, we'll we'll see where the Yankees are next month. But, you know, the loss of Phil Hughes, or Al Hughes, as we call him here. Yeah, exactly, as we call him, uh, is a big concern as well. I mean, who knows if this guy's going to be lost for the year. He he was one of their main, start, you know, one of their starting pitching. So he's definitely yeah. a piece of the puzzle that they need to have healthy. If not, they will have to be shopping for a starting pitcher sooner than later. Um well, Just you know the Yankees are always they're always shopping for starting pitchers. They're probably shopping for guys now. They brought out about ten different trades in the uh, in the works. But you know that, that that's kind of what I was talking about before. With how long is Bartolo Colon going to be any good? I mean, Frank, uh, Freddie Garcia, Frankie Garcia, whatever his name is. I mean, is that guy going to be any good? Come on, let's be realistic. Those guys aren't going to last the year. The Yankees are going to need help with Hughes being injured and being such a young guy. It kind of ties into what he talked what we talked about the other day. And you know, let's be honest, sir. In four months, this is the most we've ever talked about the Yankees. <laughs> but uh, you know, it ties into what we talked about the other day with how they pretty much ruined Jabba Chamberlain. You know, are they going to do the same thing to to Al Hughes? That, that's the question. That is the question. And you know, knowing our luck, Seattle, the Seattle Mariners, a team that. Um, you know, was expected to do decently, has gotten off to a horrific start at 11:15. So, you know, the Yankees will definitely be knocking on their door for, you know, Mr. Uh, Felix Hernandez. So, you know, if they yeah, don't get look, him, you know. Let, let's talk about that for a second, sir. If you are the Mariners, I mean, the Mariners suck, I admit it, but can you really afford to give up uh, King Felix, as they call him, on the streets? Can you really afford to give up the one guy who makes you credible? You get rid of him, I mean. I mean, well, you make us all sick. There's really nothing left uh, for the Mariners fans to even look look uh, forward to, sir. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. I'm just talking about how the Yankees, the pompous Yankees, you know, they think that they could go after anybody that they want and they could get anybody they want. You know, you know that 95% of their fans think that they could get anybody that, you know, they need and want at any time. So that's why I bring up Felix Hernandez because a typical Yankee fan is like, oh, why won't we get Felix Hernandez since uh, we have Al Hughes on the DL? <laughs> That's a good point, but we're hoping, sir. We're hoping and praying that the Yankees do not get anybody other than who they have. You know, they need, other teams need to do their thing. Other teams need to, you know, develop players and not trade them off to the Yankees because that makes me want to puke. Yeah, and you're right. We've spent a lot of time, much more time on the Yankees just in the last five minutes than we've spent on the entire, you know, show of pure gold with the Yankees. But they're in first <laughs> place. They, they 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 look like the Yankees of the typical Yankees. But like, can we go around the league for a little bit and just can I give you some some teams and tell me what you think so far? Oh yeah, this is gonna be fun. Uh, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> let's go around the league. Let's do around the horn as only pure gold can do. All right, I'm looking at a team that's really surprising. They're 15 and eight. 
Uh, is it too early to think that the Cleveland Indians will be contenders this year? No, I think that the Cleveland Indians will win the World Series. Next. <laughs> All right, I can see Actually, that you sir, are taking the sir, 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 they yeah. won today. They're 16-8. and eight. Get it right or pay the price. My bad. That's record in baseball. The, wow. Yeah. How about the loss of Cliff Lee off the Texas Rangers yet? They're still 15-10 and 10 and in first place, the Texas Rangers. Wait, the Rangers lost Cliff Lee. <laughs> Where have I been? How long is he going to be out for, sir? No, I mean like the fact that he didn't resign with the Texas Rangers. Oh. <laughs> Folks, this is pure gold. This all I can tell you is that this is our this is our wrap up of the entire uh, Major League Baseball. I had I completely forgot that Cliff Lee was in Philadelphia Phillies. But uh I mean, you know, they're fifteen and ten, Hamilton is out. What can we say about them, sir, other than, you know, they better keep it PG or they've got no chance in hell. All right. Um, and then the National League, you know, the team that has the best starting rotation in baseball, in the world, probably ever in the world, in history of the world of mankind, Philadelphia Phillies are and 16 and 8. Guys. Yeah. What do you think about them so far? I think that the best team in the in baseball right now is the Colorado Rockies, who are 16 and 7. I just had to throw that out there because I, I uh, mistakenly said that uh, the Cleveland Indians were, even though they have one <laughs> one less win uh, loss than the. The Rockies, but I think that the Phillies are going to win the National League East by about 85 games. You know, there's just no other way around it. The Marlins are not that good. They're not going to sustain their 15 and 8, 652 clip. Uh, the Braves are 13 and 13. They'll be better than 500, but they're definitely not going to be, you know, in the in the league of the Phillies. I mean, the Phillies just. I think that the other four teams in the league should concede and just give the Phillies the division now, so they can rest Roy Holiday for the playoffs, sir. I agree with you. The the Phillies have really nothing to worry about. I don't know. People were like, you know, even people like Evan Roberts were saying how the Atlanta Braves were going to be able to contend with the Philadelphia Phillies. But I I think the Philadelphia Phillies are going to start running away with this division pretty fast and and pretty soon. So we'll see where that goes. And then finally, do you, do you think that the fact that Major League Baseball is now running the L.A. Dodgers, do you think that all of a sudden this team makes a great push and gets to the World Series like the Rangers did last year? In the words of the immortal, Stone Cold Steve Austin, oh, hell no. <laughs> Absolutely not. The Dodgers make me want to puke on myself. Yeah, I'm just saying that it was interesting that the Texas Rangers declared bankruptcy and all of a sudden Major League Baseball takes them over, and all of a sudden they make the, the world, you know, they get to the World Series, which was... Interesting. Oh, yeah, so let's just say, let's, let's let Major League Baseball take over the Mets, and then you know, they'll go to the World Series. No, sir, I don't think the Dodgers, Dodgers are all that good. Even though my boy, uh, Baseball Bill, who's probably listening to our show right now, is a big Dodger fan, I just don't see the Dodgers really going anywhere. Yeah, they have uh, Clayton Kershaw and all the tools, and Matt Camp and James Loney and, uh, you know, uh, Al Hughes, but I don't think they're going to go anywhere, sir, let's be honest. I mean, they're they're 500 right now. The Rockies probably have a little better team. You know, the the Giants are coming off of winning the World Series last year. So, you know what? I think that they're going to go back-to-back in a belly-to-belly, sir. And that would not be the Dodgers. That would be the the Giants. I mean, that's all I really have for now. The month of April is coming to a close. Um, Baseball such a long season. I don't think we need to discuss it any further tonight unless you have any <laughs> nuggets that you want to bring up. <laughs> no, well, you know... Let's go back to last night's game real quick before we get Todd Johnstone, a.k.a. TJ, a.k.a. you make us all sick on the air. Sir, let's talk about that atrocious 
disgraceful, disgusting call at third base by that horrific, I don't know if that was Earl Hebner or Dave Hebner at third base, the umpire for the for the Nationals, but man, Jose Reyes got robbed, my, my friend, he got robbed of a triple. I have never seen such a terrible, blatant, messed up call. I mean, that's not a big situation. Like, uh, you know, the, I forget the guy's name. I think it's a, a Galarraga from, from the Rockies who went for the, went for the no-hitter and he got, he got hosed by the umpire. I think Armando Galarraga. But, Joe, you told me about this call because I wasn't, I wasn't able to watch the game last night, but, I mean, how terrible was that, sir? It was, and I, I guess I over-exaggerated when I told you about the call saying that it was worse than the, the safe call by that umpire doing that perfect game, you know, with the uh, Detroit Lions, I mean Tigers. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, the the play was basically, you know, Jose Reyes hits the ball in the gap. He definitely has a double. He's going to try to extend it to a triple because there's only one out in the inning. And, like, he goes sliding head first. Again, DG loves when players slide head first. Don't you, DG? I do, sir. Um, I, I just, I hate the head first slide, but he was safe by so much, it wasn't even funny. And I honestly don't understand how the umpire messed up that call. And you watch it, sir. If you watch it, Ray's hand comes all the way across the bag, but his three, four fingers are clearly still on the bag. He never leaves it. And, the, and the, he has his back to the umpire, so I don't know why the umpire would, would assume, all right, he's off the bag. Let me call him out. That was terrible. What I loved, my favorite part about that, and I know that we weren't going to talk too much about wrestling, but he jumped up when he got called out like Kofi Kingston. And it looked, you know, he was flapping around with his dreads everywhere, just like Kofi. And it looked like he was going to hit the umpire with a boom drop. Sir, it was great to see him fired up. It was great to see him look like a wrestler. And it was great to see him piss because he got screwed. And I mean screwed out of a triple yesterday, sir. It's funny. The, he did get screwed. He was very animated. It was good to see that he, you know, he does care that and he's that passionate. And luckily the Mets, uh, you know, Daniel Murphy bailed him out with a home run. The next uh, the next batter hit a home run. So um, that umpire should be tar and feathered, just like that other umpire that called the, uh, you know, that perfect game, the that safe call that he was out by a mile. This call was, I think, just as bad, to be honest with you, because, like, you clearly see the fingers um, just never leave the base. I don't know what he's even thinking to think that the guy was, you know, that he 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 came off the base when he didn't. I mean, it was clear as day. I don't know what the umpire was seeing. You're right. Uh, sorry, sir. I got choked up <clears throat> thinking about something else. <clears throat> You're absolutely right. That was a terrible call. I mean, it sounds like a call that you would have made just to screw the other team over. Because uh, so that was an absolute disgrace. <laughs> All right, is that your nugget for baseball? Yeah, that's my baseball nugget. I mean, I <laughs> did an entire half hour on baseball. I have no idea how, considering that we were talking about it before the show. Like, you know, uh, what, what is the deal with, with that? But you know what, sir? I think it's time to uh, let's talk about some easy pizza, sir. This entire segment was brought to you by Easy Pizza. Their new pizza concept. Handmade, nine-inch, focaccia-style personal pizza. Choose from three savory crusts, including whole wheat. Choose from four types of cheeses, and you can finish it off from this selection of over 70 fresh toppings. There's no need to call ahead. Easy pizzas are made fresh before your eyes, and I know because I've seen them made a million times. They're ready to enjoy in only three easy minutes, and yes, I've counted, it is only three easy minutes. They're located at 184 Essex Street in Essex Square, 
next to National Liquidators in Lodi. Thanks to Easy Pizza, fresh just got easy. Make sure to mention Pure Gold when you come in. Jody? Folks, it's 1032. It's time for a sports update and Todd's Take, brought to you by Design & Stitch. Are you looking to promote your business, school, church, or team? Contact Design & Stitch for all your embroidery and screen printing needs. Mention Pure Gold for 50% off of all setup charges. We are located at 194 Atlantic Street in Hackensack, New Jersey. Contact us at 201-488-1314 or visit our website, design-n-stitch.com. Without further ado, he's been waiting, but he's not been waiting as, as long as Mr. Yeah, as usual. He's, he hasn't been waiting as long as Mr. Mark Engram to be picked in the NFL draft. It's time for Todd's sports update. Todd, how are you? I'm doing great tonight, guys. What a great night for sports tonight. We have the NBA playoffs, we have the NHL playoffs, and we got the NFL draft tonight. So let's get right into it. The uh, the Hawks beat the Magic, 84 to 81. Lakers are leading the uh, Lakers are leading the Hornets, 90 to 73, with about three minutes to play in the fourth. And the Trailblazers are set to tip off any minute now. In the NHL playoffs, the Predators and the Canucks, Canucks are nodded at zero with nine minutes left to play in the second period. Then, of course, there is. The NHL draft, or the uh, <laughs> the NFL draft, which in my house is somewhat of a celebration, <laughs> which is something uh-huh. of a celebration. Through, <laughs> through five picks, there really was not uh, very many surprises. Cam Newton went to uh, Carolina Panthers, Von Miller to the Broncos, Marcel Darius to the Bills, A.J. Green to the Bengals, and Patrick Peterson to the Cardinals. At the number six pick, we had uh, we had our first trade of the night. Uh, the, the Browns traded with the Falcons, the Falcons, who then picked up wide receiver Julio Jones, which I thought was a great pick. San Francisco did not take Blaine Gabbert, but instead went with Alden Smith, defensive end. Uh, then Jake Locker went to Tennessee Titans at eight, which I thought was an interesting pick as well. Tyrone Smith went to the Cowboys, and then we had a pick at the ten, uh, a trade at the ten spot with Jacksonville, who uh, traded with. The Redskins, and then Jacksonville ended up taking Blaine Gabbert. So they've obviously moved on from uh, their quarterback situation. In the 11th spot, J.J. Watt, defensive end, went to the Texans. And then uh, at 12, Christian Ponder, another quarterback to Minnesota. In the 13th spot, Nick Farrelly, defensive tackle to the the uh, Detroit Lions, which I thought was a really interesting pick because – I really don't think that they needed a defensive tackle. They really needed an alignment so that they could protect that, protect that glass-shouldered quarterback of theirs. Mm-hmm. At the 14 spot, Robert Quinn, defensive end to the Rams. At 15, Marquise's twin brother, Mike Pouncey, went to the, the Miami Dolphins. At the 16 spot, we had a trade with the Redskins. They took The uh, Jacksonville Jaguars took Ryan Kerrigan, a defensive end. At the 17th spot, the New England Patriots took Nate Solder, offensive lineman, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, I thought it was a good pick, considering that the Pats haven't been able to run the ball in, what, a decade? The Corey legit defensive end went to the, the, uh, the Chargers, which I didn't understand that pick at all. Uh, and then Prince Amukamare, cornerback to uh, the New York Giants, which I thought was a great pick. I thought it was a better pick than Mark Ingram. I thought it was def- I thought it was definitely the value pick. I mean, if you're not going to be able to play offense, at least be able to play defense. That's the way I see it. Really? The Giants. Uh, 
Daquan Bowers, my pick for the New York Jets, had, did not get picked up by the Tampa Bay Bucks. They instead took Adrian Claiborne, a defensive lineman. KC traded with the Browns for Phil Taylor, defensive lineman. The Colts took Anthony Costanzo, and as we speak, the Eagles just made a pick who I did not see who it was. Good job, the Saints are on the clock. <laughs> and that is your sports update. Up to the minute. And now oh, you, that <laughs> you just missed the last pick. Good job. Todd, are you surprised, upset, disappointed that Mark Ingram still hasn't been drafted? It doesn't bother me in the least. No. Oh, Todd, uh, by the way, uh, the Eagles picked Danny Watkins, a defensive lineman. I just thought I'd, you know, update, update the update guy on that. Well, thank you. I can't read and watch TV at the same time, you know. Somebody <laughs> on this team's got to work. <laughs> can't read your own handwriting either, but that's besides the point. <laughs> Okay, before we uh, flush this one down the toilet, let's get to uh, Todd's take. Todd, sir, take it away. All right, so it being that it is a uh, a national holiday for me, let's talk about the draft, and let's talk specifically about draft history on this most joyous of occasions. In particular, let's, let's talk about the draft history of the supposed guru of all gurus when it comes to drafting, one Bill Belichick. All right, particularly since 2009, uh, for those of you who don't look past what happens on the field on Sunday and Monday and sometimes Thursday and Saturday, something important, something quintessential, something that changed the landscape of the NFL forever, especially in the King of the Ring AFC East, for good. What happened was, that's right, the exit of one Scott Pioli. Together, yes, together, they drafted the likes of the future Hall of Famer Tom Brady, Richard Seymour, Matt Light, Dan Copen, Vince Wilfork, Matt Castle, and on and on and on. But who since then? Since the exit of Scott Pioli, what great, outstanding starter of day one has Bill Belichick, the supposed guru of the NFL, drafted? All right. Now, granted, they have done a lot of wheeling and dealing to stockpile picks, and if you want to call that a good job, We'll go right ahead. I'm not going to argue with you. But if that stockpile doesn't result in something, then it's a bad job in my humble opinion. So let's look back at 09, 010, and the 24 picks that, that the Patriots made. Here are the notables. Tight end Aaron Hernandez. And he scored six touchdowns. Tight end Rob Gronkowski. He scored ten touchdowns. Wide receiver Julian Edelman. All right, he set a franchise record for return yards and scored one touchdown. All right, we'll put him on the list. He set a Patriots record. Safety Patrick Chung, all right, three interceptions, one touchdown. Cornerback Darius Butler, seven INTs, no touchdowns. And Devin McCourty, he had a pretty good year as well. Now, let me just say, that's twice against Miami, twice against Buffalo, against Detroit without Stafford, Cleveland, and Minnesota with Favre. Stats can be skewed any way you want to make your point. And here's a stat. In drafting successes, Bill's success rate is 6 of 24. All right, so that's 1 in 4, or 25% success rate. I don't know where you went to high school, but where I went, 25% is a failing grade. All right, so that puts you on the short bus and gets your hall pass taken. I'm Todd Johnstone. <laughs> JB? Very well put, sir. And, folks, Pure, Pure Gold will have next Tuesday, we'll have Todd 
on for a full segment just breaking down the 2011 NFL Draft, the winners, the losers, the teams that made out great, the teams that didn't so much, and then we'll also go over all the draft picks that the New York Giants and New York Jets picked, and he'll give us his take on that. So, Todd, thank you so much for covering the NFL Draft. You have a good weekend. Thanks, guys. Thank you. That was the one and only Todd uh, Johnstone, a.k.a. TJ, a.k.a. Al Hughes, a.k.a. Jerry Rello of this program. And, you know, speaking of WFN, before I forget, uh, I wanted to throw this out there, and hopefully I'll remember at the end of the show because, you know, we don't have producers yelling in their ears. Next Tuesday night, we're going to have the one and only Lori Rubinson of WFAN joining us. Now, as a, as a note, um, you know, I like listening to Lori at night when she's on, but Lori is the only WFN host that I've ever gotten through to that I've called in. I was able to talk to her one night a couple years ago coming back from a Mets-Phillies game down in Philadelphia with an old friend of mine, um, the doctor of style. But anyway, the truth is that we're looking forward to this. There's another WFN personality that we're going to have on our show. We're going to break down the Mets. We're going to break down everything with Lori. So we're, we're definitely excited about that. JB, as we move on from that, let's get into our next segment full of uh, big old nuggets as we introduce Smallville View once again. And, folks, there's only two more weeks from tomorrow until Smallville is officially done forever. We have the one and only Hans joining us on the line. Hans, how are you doing, sir? How's it going? You say it like it's a a good thing that the show is going off the air. No, it's not, but what can I say? You know, I don't want to... I don't want to be depressed about it and, you know, uh, you know, kick my cat down the stairs or anything. So what can I say, sir? Well, you shouldn't do that anyways. Cats are horrible animals. But that's I'm going to have my point. cat what? attack you the next time I see you, sir. It probably will. That's all they know how to do. Of course, because they're great. So, sir, give us your take. And, and I love the fact that... Uh, I love the fact that I already know where you're going to go, and it's going to be the opposite of Joe. So uh, get into it. So break down last week's episode. It was called Booster, wasn't that? I'm not sure of the title, but I I loved it. You liked this episode? I I did. I Mm -hmm. like that Clark was able to be Clark, the the bumbling, well, kind of, sort of. He was the bumbling idiot that we know him to be, but... I thought it was a great episode. Um, the only thing I didn't like or I found odd was that Booster was trying to help him come up with a name instead of the blur. And he's from the future. Shouldn't he know what his name is going to be? Unless he was just doing it for not just saying the name right out. Of course. You know he can't, he can't out and out say Superman, so... He's got to say super, so I kind of like that. But, uh, you know, I'll get into my little analysis of it when you're done, sir. Other than that, I like my favorite part was towards the end of the show when when Clark and Lois are talking about how it's going to look when they get married, that she's this strong, sexy, beautiful woman, and he's Clark, and he puts on the glasses, and he rips his shirt off. I love that part because it almost for half a second I thought I was going to see the suit underneath. But, you know, they're just teasing us. They did it with the phone booth, which is another part that I love that he he transformed into the blur. Um, it would have been better if he, he did it into Superman, but it's cool. They're They're teasing us in a good way. 
Well, you know what? No, you mentioned it. I kind of like those points too. I liked uh, I liked the whole transformation thing. It was cool. It was harkening back to uh, you know the movies, considering that there are no phone booths anywhere in the world anymore. But uh, you know, I, I'm kind of torn because I honestly don't like the whole bumbling, stumbling, fumbling Clark. And the only reason is because for nine nine and a half full years he's been normal Clark Kent. He's been at the Daily Planet for like five years at this point, so everybody knows him as Clark Kent, cool, smooth kind of guy. And now all of a sudden he has to like change completely into this other personality, this other persona. And it honestly makes no sense because how are people supposed to buy that all of a sudden he became clumsy, all of a sudden he became a, a putz? Because he wasn't that at any other point during the years forever. You know, now he's got the glasses on, you know, whatever, it's fine. But the truth is that this is kind of inherently the problem with Smallville, that they put him at, the, at Metropolis and at the Daily Planet way too soon, and now they're trying to kind of backpedal and make him into the bumbling Clark that we all know. But it really, logically, it makes absolutely no sense, sir. Well, you know what? You, you did bring up a good point, and they actually, he said on the show that he he was like that on Smallville. The only time I remember him ever being somewhat stumbling and bumbling was when he was around Lana when she wore that green meteorite um, necklace. Those were the only yeah, ones yeah, that yeah. he was really, and which was, I think it was in two episodes, and then Lex gave him that, that box to put it in. Other than those first two or three episodes, he was never bumbling after that. Yeah, and and that's my whole point is that how do you how do they expect us to believe that all of a sudden anybody is going to look at it and say you know I mean Clark is changing it it's stupid it's it's unrealistic but the truth is they should have done this a long time ago you know it, it kind of is what it is it's part of the it's part of being you know different than the comics and trying to get into that and stuff but you know it it is what it is. I liked uh, I liked the episode, but I, truthfully, I didn't like Booster at all. I thought he was horrible up until the end when he kind of redeemed himself. I know Joe was very anti-Booster Gold, but uh, I have to admit I loved his pure gold reference. You can tell that he and the writers of Smallville listened to the show, which is great. But having him come out, he was such an inherently unlikable douchebag that by the end when he kind of redeemed himself, it's kind of like a little too late. Uh, Joe, wouldn't you agree with that? I agree, and I think that's why I hate, or not hate, I, I didn't like the episode as much as you guys did, because the fact that this Booster Gold was just, uh, they made the character to be way too conceited, and by the time, like DG said, by the time this the episode was over, where Clark then consoles him and tells him the type of hero he can be, I thought it was just too late. I was like, Booster Gold, the name is is horrible. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know how else to say it. The character shouldn't have even been introduced. I understand why they're doing it to show... What did you tell me, DG? You told me that it shows that it's going to show Clark of the type of hero he could be or something like that. That's why they introduced this booster gold. Yeah, like helping another hero become a, a great hero that he could be, and of course, fulfilling more of Clark's destiny. Although I kind of agree with what you said off the off the air, and maybe Hans will agree with this also, is that this episode should not be three episodes before the season finale, the series finale. This should have been like at the beginning of the year at some point. I, I don't. I agree with Joe. I don't really. I don't really think this was the best place to put this episode, Hans. I do agree with you on that. I actually did like Booster Gold if. If you guys have read anything about him, that's how he actually acted in in the first set of comics that he came out because he he was from the future and he's trying to 
he came back to the past knowing all these accidents and events. That's what he came out as, the original Booster Gold. He wants all this fame and fortune. He doesn't do it to be a hero. And over time, he, he becomes the hero that, that you know, people expect him to be. So I actually like Booster Gold in the show. He played that part. The actor played the part very well. Um, but I do agree with you that they should have had this episode uh, back in the beginning of the season. Because right now, it like you said, there's only like three or four, two weeks before the season finale. And they're trying to build all this momentum up. They could have had this before the Christmas break, maybe even right after the Christmas break, before they took their Easter break. It, it would have been better then. Now I think they're just trying to rush through everything. And they didn't do it sloppily, but, you know, they, they're pushing the, the envelope there because they, they've got three episodes to wrap everything up, and they're trying to throw in as much as they can now. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I definitely agree with that. And, you know, it, it's sad. You know, we think about it, it it's going to be a sad season for us because – and I kind of wanted to, I, I guess we can we can kind of segue and continue to talk about Smallville, but also talk about The Office. Uh, today was Steve Carell's last episode on The Office, and, uh, you know, this show basically is coming to an end in my eyes, and Smallville is coming to an actual end in a couple of weeks. And, you know, we've been watching these shows for years. At the, uh, Smallville, you know, Joe's been watching it for ten years. I've been watching it for nine. Um, the Office, I've been watching it for about six years, uh, you know, caught up on every episode. And, you know, these characters... These shows come to an end. It just leaves a it leaves an empty kind of feeling on the inside. You know, when you when you become emotionally invested in these shows, it's just sad to see them go. Every time I see that commercial that talks about the series finale of Smallville, I get a little uh, misty. I have to admit, sir. I I feel the same way. Today, I actually caught up to to the two last weeks of The Office, and this one where where they sang to Michael. It got me a little misty-eyed. It was sad. I mean, it was funny what they were singing about, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> today is the last episode that he's going to be on. You, you don't know if he's coming back for cameos or or who's going to be the new boss because they've got other people coming on to to play this manager role, and it's not going to be the same. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, the the truth is that I, as I watched last week's episode, and I also watched it today to kind of catch up, but, um, you know, he's going to be sorely missed, Steve Carell, that is, of course, and, you know, I said it before, and it bears repeating, but it makes no sense, and uh, you can chime in on this if you like, boys, but it makes no sense to continue The Office without Steve Carell. I mean, he literally is the show. He's the main character, and it's it's odd in an ensemble cast like The Office where you really have one main, main, main actor, and that is Steve Carell. Not having him as the boss in the office, I mean, then Toby literally serves no purpose on the show because he's not going to have an arch enemy. Um, Ryan has no purpose on the show. Dwight has no purpose. Like, these characters have no purpose without Michael Scott. And I, I know that you don't agree with this, Hans, but I hate the D'Angelo Vickers character. I think he's uninteresting and not funny. And I think Will Ferrell is one of those hit-or-miss guys. But I can't imagine him being the, the a boss when Michael is gone. And the truth is that... Continuing the show without him, it's just going to underscore how bad it's going to be with you know without him as the main character, and it's going to underscore how he he was the show, because to me, if I watch the show after he leaves, I'm always going to be expecting Steve Carell to pop up 
in some scene, in some part, and then kind of, you know, make the joke and, and do what he's got to do. But to not have him there, it just, I don't, honestly, I don't see how this show is going to be any good once he leaves. So, and the fact is he's not even living at the season finale. He's leaving right before. Hans, give me your thoughts on that, because I know Joe is out taking a nugget. Actually, you know what? I, I watched, uh, the, like I said, I caught up on The Office, and you're right. Will Ferrell is really hit or miss. He had his moments where he was funny, but then when, when he tried to be, I think when he was being serious and when I found him funny and when he was trying to be funny, I didn't find him funny. And you're right. Michael Scott, Steve Carell is going to be sorely missed on the show. They're, like you said, it's an ensemble cast. To bring somebody new, now they're going to have to pick somebody else as the main as a main character. And who can you actually pick to continue on the story? Because this whole time, it's been about Michael Scott. Like his, yeah. All his relationships, all the trouble, all his hijinks. He even said it on the show. He loves the hijinks he gets into. And really, that's what it's about. And they're bringing somebody in, uh, some new boss in, so... Are are they going to start following him now? Is is that the direction the show is going to go in? And it's just going to seem like they're going to recycle the stories if they pick someone as funny as Steve. And if they go with somebody as serious as Will Ferrell's character, then it's not going to work. Because you're right. Toby has no arch enemy now. Dwight isn't in second-in-command to, to Michael... Ryan isn't um, Michael's favorite. Jim yeah, the hottest can't. one in the office. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, none of the. You're right. The the four main characters, uh, those four other than um, Steve Carell, have nobody to bounce off of. Andy nope. and Stanley and the rest of those bounce off, like Dwight and Jim and Pam, but. Now they won't have anybody to bounce off of, and yeah. it won't be as funny. It, it won't. I, honestly, I, I, I don't see how this show can continue without him. I know that Joe's asleep over there. I don't see how this show can continue without him, and I honestly don't see the point of continuing the show without, uh, you know, without Steve Carell because, I mean, Joe, you've, you've seen enough of The Office to know. What, how, what do you think the show's going to be like without the main character? It's basically... Take Smallville, remove Clark Kent, and then you have what's left of the office. Yep, makes no sense. No, and and you then know. you have to bring in the Green Lantern. I you, Joe. Green Arrow. Sorry, Joe, you were Here. saying before you were still really interrupting? That's okay. I mean, what are you going to do? I'm only the co-host of the show. Um, <laughs> but what I was saying, what I was, saying <laughs> was that, you know, NBC, I mean, the NBC always likes to cancel, like, series mid, mid-season. I'm surprised that they didn't just cancel this when they found that. Steve Carell wasn't going to, you know, come back to the office. So uh, it is weird to have the show go on without the main character. Like you said, it's like taking Clark out of Smallville and then having Smallville. It makes no sense. So, um, you know, what NBC is going to do is next year they'll find out that the ratings are going to tank in September, October, and they're just going to cancel the series, mid-series next year. You know, I, I actually I kind of agree with you, uh, and I don't know how you feel about that, Hans, but I honestly think that Joe is right. I think that... And we said this months ago, but I do believe the show will tank without him. I mean, you and I will watch at least to see at the beginning, but we'll probably not be into it because Michael really is the show. 
He has literally made every episode great. Whatever part he's in, it's great. His hijinks are great. There may be other main stories in an episode, but he is the episode. And to not have him on there, I think that by October, when the new season starts, it probably will go in the toilet because no boss can effectively replace him. And we as fans are going to be expecting, you know, it's kind of like if we were going to make a, a, a wrestling analogy, it's like losing Hulk Hogan in his prime in the middle of the WWF and the entire the entire uh, you know federation is built around him like it was in the 80s or losing, uh, you know, um, Willie Mays in the middle of the, the you know the Giants being a, a good team or you know losing Jackie Robinson in the middle of the whole color barrier thing and I know that I'm going really far to to make an analogy and which is totally ridiculous and totally out of this world but the fact is that he is the Babe Ruth of this show he is the Babe Ruth of this particular genre of the whole mockumentary thing you know Parks and Rec which is a great show it bounces off of The Office The Office is what made it famous and this is much longer and much more effective than the British version so you know what NBC I got two words for you Beep. <laughs> I think what what's going to happen is the show's going to come on they're going to have this new boss <laughs> it's not going to work so they're going to replace him and every couple of weeks they're going to replace him and the ratings are just going to tank until they bring Steve back and that I believe that's going to happen because I don't understand why Steve can't make movies and do the show. I just don't get it. Other actors do it. Why can't he? I mean, he said he said that it's about being with his family, and hopefully he's right. I mean, if it was Joe, I wouldn't believe that he wanted to be with his family. But since it's Steve, who knows? I mean, I was watching something online on NBC.com where he was talking to Angela, whose real name actually is Angela, and she was saying how um, she was saying how. You know, he's leaving the show, and then he was talking about his wife and the decision that they made and how he was leaving his friends and stuff like that. But the truth is that, you know what, I don't understand why he can't be on the show at least part-time. I mean, from a storyline perspective, it makes sense. And what's kind of funny is this whole moving away with Holly thing has worked without Holly even being there because she hasn't been on the show in weeks. After the proposal, she basically disappeared, and I'm assuming she was on the show tonight. But, you know, to lose Michael, it's just uh, it's going to be so horrible. And the fans are really going to hate it. And they're like you said, Hans, they're going to keep replacing the boss or come up with some D-bag boss who's going to suck and the office is going to go the way of Knight Rider, and, uh, you know, as Joe would say. So Yeah, it, it's going to be sad. It's going to be – it's not going to be the same. I agree. I mean, do you think you're going to cry when you watch the episode? I mean, let's be honest here, sir. I mean, it has to be really sad, which I think they're going to go – so, because oh, the last God. couple episodes were were kind of sad. This yeah, they were more serious last than week funny. Was sad, Cut and the then show. the week that he proposed to Holly was kind of serious but funny. So they're probably going to aim for both again. This well, world, I, I don't know if you saw the I don't know if you saw the preview of tonight's episode, but they they show a part with him and Jim where they're talking to each other, and Jim is like getting teary eyed, and so is Michael, and you know they're shaking hands and being serious. So it's definitely going to be sad, but. Speaking of sad, JB, how do you think you're going to feel? Because you've been talking about this a lot with me off the air. A third of your life watching Smallville, how do you think you're going to feel when that show comes to an end on May 14th? It's definitely going to be a uh, bittersweet day because, you know, the show, uh, we all agree, has been one big tease, I think, for the most part. <laughs> I mean, we, <laughs> we're probably going to get the payoff, but at the same time, we're going to get the payoff, but then the series is going to be over, so... 
it's going to definitely be bittersweet in that regard. So I'm definitely going to miss that show. Um, uh, you know, it, it definitely ran its course. I mean, there's not much more you could do with the show. So I'm definitely going to feel sad, and it's going to be definitely a uh, missing piece. But I can't say that, um, you know, you know, like some shows are on always on Tuesday nights, and you're going to miss your Tuesday night show. Smallville's been on every day of the week, so I can't say that I'm going to miss my <laughs> Friday nights because Smallville was on every Friday night. It was a, you know, I think it started out on Tuesday night, from what I remember, yeah, uh, 10 years ago. So, yeah, so. I think uh, it's been every regard. night of the week except for Monday. I'm pretty sure, actually. Yeah, they didn't want to compete against Monday Night Football or probably, um, you know, any kind of wrestling that was on during Monday night. So I'm sure that that had to do a lot with it. So. Well, I agree. Excuse me. I agree with what that. What are you eating? Truth, what are you I'm eating? eating a, I'm eating a flavor <laughs> ice, which is another one of our sponsors for the evening, folks. These things Apparently. are like, like candy in your mouth. But aside from that, um, the truth of the matter is that. Thank you, sir. I just did. The truth of the matter is that uh, you you brought up a good point. Smallville's never been on a specific night. And let's be honest here. The show, it's really just Clark. Every other character in the entire history of the show is gone. Every other main character, you know, from day one, you know, whether it's Pete or Lana or Lex or whomever, it's really all about Clark now and who he is. And even Chloe's gone. So it's not like we've grown up with all of these characters for 11 years or 10 years or whatever the case is. But it's definitely going to be sad to see it go um, you know, to see the show finally run its course and come to an end. But, you know, not having all those other characters kind of dampers it a little bit. And, like, we all agree that the show should come to an end. What I would love to see, Hans, and I'd love to get your opinion. I know we've talked about this off the air, but let's let the fans in on this. Um, and, yes, folks, this is PG, and, no, we have barely talked about wrestling, you know, so let's just uh, get that out there. We're talking Smallville. We're talking important things here. But, um I would love it if they had changed the name of the show to Metropolis, flash forward five years in the future with Clark as Superman, and then continue the show with basically Clark and Lois, and then a re- the real Jimmy Olsen and Perry White, and you know have Martha back on the farm, and you know that could be your main ensemble for another couple of years to to get a, l- a little more life out of the show. What do you think about that, Hans? I would love it. I would honestly love it because you know they killed off Jimmy, or the fake Jimmy, and they showed this little kid playing with a camera who's also named Jimmy, and they never brought him up ever again. I mean, this was coming to an end. They, they've they had every major character. Why not bring the real Jimmy Olsen and continue it? Just change it to Metropolis five years into the future. Joe, would I mean, you still watch it? I mean, they've done it with every other that? show. Sorry, sir. Joe, would you still watch it if they did that? Again, co-host. JB asked the question. Hans, calm down here. We'll, we'll let you talk, all right? <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous with this this over talking and everything. I mean, I'm You're about to hang up thing. on you. Sorry. Just <laughs> what was the question again? I'm sorry. If you would stop ranting, you'd shut your damn mouth. You would know what the question was. The question was if they did what I said about five minutes ago and fast forwarded it into the future changed it to Metropolis and kept it going with Perry White, with Jimmy Olsen, with Martha Kent, with Clark and um, Lois, would you still watch the show, sir? I would still watch it, definitely. I think it's a good idea. Here's the the funny thing about that is that I bet Tom Walling would would balk at the idea and he would disagree. He would wholeheartedly say, I cannot do this anymore. That's the end <laughs> of Smallville. I will not do Metropolis. Find yourself another sorry-ass character. <laughs> well, the truth is, and Hans, you know, we went to go see Hannah. I, I, I don't even want to get into that crap, but 
I went to go see Hannah this week, and he made a good point about how, you know, they're talking all these different uh, Superman movies and Batman and Justice League and Wonder Woman. They're going to have, like, three different movie versions or, or, or film versions or whatever of Wonder Woman at the same time. They're, they're shooting for the same thing with Batman and even Superman, but yet they couldn't let Bruce Wayne or Diana Prince or Batman or Wonder Woman come on Smallville because the, the, the fans would get confused. Other than the fact that Warner Brothers produces everything for DC, how is it possible they figure, well, you know, we can't have these major characters who perfectly fit into the Smallville universe on the show because people get confused, but let's just throw up four different movie versions of the same exact characters. You know what? Nobody's going to get confused. Hans, can you explain that to me, sir? I hate that. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. There's no reason to that. They they changed Batmans in the 80s and 90s three different times. Three different Batman within a 10-year period, and they can't have Batman on Smallville because they think we're too stupid to you know what? distinguish the difference. Sir, it was like a five... I think I'm pretty sure it was like a five-year period because all the movies that came out... Yeah, uh, Bat- the original Batman was 89, and I'm pretty sure that um, Batman The last four, one was in 94, right? I believe it, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was in 94. So in a five-year period, they changed Batman three times. So, uh, Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. You, you were saying, sir? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that was just dumb. And, you know, they had this one character on Smallville, Adam Knight, who would have been perfect to have been revealed to us to have been Bruce Wayne, actually. And that would have been so nice. It would have been such a... I don't know. It would have been great if that would have turned out to be Batman, but they can't do it because we're too dumb to tell the difference between a movie Batman and a TV show Batman. I know Joe wouldn't be able to tell the difference, but smart people like you and I, I'm pretty sure, would be able to, sir. Smart asses, Obviously. Me. Well, Hans, do you have any closing thoughts on us before we uh, drop a, a steamer on this one? Well, nothing really. Well, you know, with The Office uh, practically rebooting itself next season with a new boss, they're doing the same thing with Two and a Half Men. I don't know if you've read the news, but they're going to reboot the show without Charlie Sheen and have the rest of the cast come on and have somebody else replace him. I want to know, as they finish up my last flavor, I want to know how in the world that's going to work. Because first, let's be honest, as big of a nut as Charlie Sheen is or is pretending to be, that show is all about him, more so than The Office is about Steve Carell, because there's only three characters on that show. So how in the world would they ever have anybody come replace him, change the Charlie character, or... Um, have somebody totally different to fit in with the, you know, the man and his son and stuff. It, it's not going to make any sense, and that is going to be a, a colossal failure, which will then be laid at the feet of whomever they they pick to replace Charlie Sheen, sir. They said they're trying to get a a big name A lister actor like to Wolf come Farrell? on the show. Maybe like <laughs> I know they were trying for John Stamos. Oh please, and there was another... John Stamos is John Stamos is like an F-list actor. First of all, uh, Uncle Jesse, come on! And second of all, they should just get Steve Carell to do it. Then I would watch that show. They they should. That's what he should be doing. And then they should but turn you... Two and a Half Men into The Office <laughs> after a year. Two, they can call it Two and a Half Offices. But uh, Hans, you're right, sir. We greatly appreciate you coming on, as always. 
with this extended Smallville View segment. And, of course, we'll have you on for the next several weeks because we have to continue talking about, you know, next week we'll, we'll spend three hours talking about the final episode of The Office. Joe, you can take that day off. Uh, we're just going to talk about that. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to talk about Smallville as we finish up. Because, Joe, you know that when Smallville finishes that two-hour series finale, we have got to talk about that, sir, ad nauseum. We definitely do, and we've got to find Hans another job. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure something out. Hans, just like Hannah, I'm going to turn this crap off, sir. Thank you for joining us once again, and we will see you next week. Thank you for having me on, guys. No problem. Don't get used to it. Folks, that was the one and only Hans joining us for another classic small review segment. Joe, another show where we talked before in our production meeting and had nothing, and look at it. We have 22 minutes left in the overrun, maybe 21, according to our British uh, host that introduces us. And uh, we haven't talked basketball, and we have not talked Jack. Sir, get into some NBA talk before we close up this mess. Yes, sir. The NBA playoffs are obviously underway, and most of the first-round series have been, uh, you know, are over now with, you know, the Bulls taking the Indiana Pacers in five games. You had the Atlanta Hawks just uh, tonight eliminate the Orlando Magic, which was one of the only upsets so far in the NBA playoffs. You had the Celtics sweeping the Knicks and advancing, and then you had the Heat, you know, advancing over the 76ers in five games. And then on the other side, in the West, the Grizzlies are giving the Spurs the fight of their life as they're up three games to two, heading back to Memphis tomorrow night for game six. And again, Memphis has a chance to close it out and will be only the second or third eighth seed that will have beaten a number one seed. So we'll see where that goes. That's very interesting. Oklahoma very Oklahoma City Thunder have eliminated the, the Nuggets last night. They won in five. And then tonight you have the, the Mavericks playing the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Mavericks are up three games to two. And then just tonight as well, the Lakers closed out their series in six games by beating the Hornets. So we don't know who the West uh, teams will be playing, but we do know that on the East we will have the one-seeded Chicago Bulls against the Atlanta Hawks. And then we'll have the two-seed Miami Heat versus the Boston Celtics. And I just wanted to give you my take on that since the series starts this Sunday at 3.30 on ABC between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. I just think that, you know, the Celtics won the the season series three games to one, and the only game that the Miami Heat did win was the last game of the series. So this is when the Celtics were in that, you know, go-to-sleep mode, let's just try to heal up, let's try to rest, get ready for the playoffs. In essence, though, they did lose the number two seed because of that. Uh, Miami just needed that one win to secure the two seed, and now they have the home court against the Boston Celtics. I do think that the Celtics, with this rest that they've had, is definitely helping this team since they're an older team. So they've had a, uh, about a week's rest because, you know, they finished off the Knicks last Sunday on Easter, and they're going to play game one of this series this Sunday. So they will have had seven days of just, you know, just taking it easy, relaxing. And I think that if we could see the Celtics of games three and four, where they played inspired basketball, they played great defense, Rondo played out of his mind like he always does in the playoffs. I think if they do this against the uh, the Miami Heat, I think that the Miami Heat will not win the series. I really think that the Boston Celtics can win the series in six games, maybe seven. It might go the distance. But I also think that the Celtics, with experience in the playoffs, with a team that's been together for the most part, minus Perkins, 
I think that this team will beat the Miami Heat in six or seven, like I said. And I also think that, um, you know, experience goes a long way. And if you look at the stats, which I, don't, I really don't have them in front of me, but I know that the Miami Heat uh, are like 1-11 and 11 when they try to close out a game. That means when they're up one or they're down one within less than a minute to play, they're about 1-11 and 11 this year. They've only had one win. The Boston Celtics have a winning record. They know how to close out games, whether they're up uh, a couple points or they're down a couple points. So, DG, for this series, I really think that even though the, the Celtics don't have the home court, I think that they're experienced. I think that the fact that they know how to close out games, and I think that LeBron James is just one big joke, and the big two-and-a-half, as you would call them, down in Miami are going to go down to the Boston Celtics. I'm going to pick, before the series starts, the Boston Celtics in six games. I think DG hung up. <laughs> no, I was just sorry. I was just taking a nap. Um, are, are those your your only thoughts on uh, on the NBA? <laughs> um, well, like I said, the only other series that I could comment on is the Chicago Bulls playing the Atlantic Hawks. I don't think that the Chicago Bulls will have any trouble against the Atlantic Hawks. Uh, it's I think that Chicago is actually happy that the the Hawks are are there and they've eliminated the Orlando Magic. I think the Orlando Magic would have given the Chicago Bulls a little bit a tougher challenge, but. You know, like I said, Oklahoma is still waiting to see the winner of the Memphis and San Antonio series, and the Lakers are just waiting to see who's going to win the the Dallas Mavericks Portland Trailblazers series. So, you know, the first rounds have pretty much gone to par um, with no upsets except for Orlando Magic, the four seed, getting beaten by the five seed, uh, the Atlanta Hawks. So, yes, DG, that's all I really have for now. And go Celtics on Sunday. Awesome, sir. <sighs> Awesome, awesome, awesome. Sir, I have one final nugget before we uh, we end up this show, and uh, it's something that I thought we talked about earlier. But Actually, I'm sorry, two nuggets. Um, let me get into the first one, which is probably the least important one. I know we made a promise basically not to talk about wrestling tonight, but I have to mention something. I read an article today on uh, I Want Wrestling by Dave Lagana, and he basically said that the best way to do the WWE draft, and I want to get your opinion on this, would be to have uh, something as, as legit a draft as we can have in the sense where they can build up-and-coming talent that is not on WWE programming currently. You know, they have NXT where they make these guys look like idiots and jack wagons and morons and things like that with these stupid challenges. I know you don't watch the show, but it's been horrible. Um, they could build these guys up for months with promos and vignettes and things of that nature and maybe have them training and, you know, talking or whatever the case is just to pump them up, right? And... uh do it in a sense where you have a, a night, a wrestling night, where it's all coming out, everything's happening at once, and, and, and you know, going out, and, and kind of things are things are happening, and, and, you know, you have this big draft night, kind of like you had tonight with the NFL. And then at the end of it, you have your number one draft could be someone like, let's say, a Chris Jericho who's not in the WWE currently, who just finished with Dancing with the Stars, but, um, you know, he could be the number one pick where it would be a huge thing and everybody would love it, as opposed to this whole Cena gets drafted, Cena gets undrafted, because that pretty much – and I listened to Busted Open with Dave Lagan and Doug Mort- uh, sorry Dave LaGreca and Doug Mortman this week, and they they basically agreed with us. They echoed our sentiments, which makes me think that they actually listened to our show. But um, the truth of the matter is that that whole thing of Cena getting drafted and then undrafted just undermines how terrible the draft is and how bad the concept is and how it needs to be changed. There, what do you think if if they were to do something like what I just described, like Dave Lagana said? What would you think about that, sir? It would definitely be uh, an improvement over what they consider the draft nowadays, DG. I mean, uh, but, you know, typical WWE is 
they don't give the fans what they want lately the last couple of years. So, uh, although I love the idea that you have, I don't think the WWE will ever do that. Yeah, but let's just say they did, because that that was all premise of Lagana how terrible the uh, how terrible the the WWE draft really is, and how it's just not doing anything good. It's just not not a good. Um, it's not a good plan. It just makes it uninteresting. What they did this year really just ruined the draft completely, and that would be the best way to fix it. Let's just say that they did fix that, and that was the case there. What do you think about that, my friend? I told you. Like, I would definitely go for it. I mean, it's something that it makes sense for us, but then again, when don't, don't we make sense? I mean, the fact that Busted Open talked about it, and you agree with it too, obviously I agree with it. There's no problem with that on, on my end. I I just don't think it's going to happen, I, unfortunately. Chris Jericho would be, you know, a, a great surprise to the draft. And, um, but, you know, I, I also heard that, just a side note, isn't he going to go on tour now with Fozzie again? Well, he's always on tour with Fozzie. He can be touring on Fozzie and wrestling at the same time. So I, I don't know how relevant that really is, sir. Um, okay. But, I I mean, it would be great. I just think that it would work so well and it would be so interesting. And you know what? It will eliminate the need for terrible shows like NXT and you can push the guys at the same time and really get people interested in them as opposed to just guys switching shows and shuffling and stuff. It's just stupid. The shuffling thing is stupid. You can continue the supplemental draft where guys switch shows but have new guys that we don't know of, maybe big big guys or guys from other companies or guys who you know, aren't here now or have a lot of talent that they can really get into the picture and, you know, become a part of the WWE. And fans can be into, like, oh, you know, Raw got this guy, SmackDown got this guy, as opposed to Cena gets drafted to SmackDown, yeah! Oh, wait, at the end of the show, Cena gets drafted back to Raw. That whole thing just truly showed how terrible the WWE draft is and how it makes no sense at all, sir. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it or somebody must have said it, that it makes you want to hate John Cena even more, the fact that he got drafted back to Raw. Yeah, I think uh, Dave and, uh, and Doug said that on Busted Open. Yeah. Good nugget. Definitely, sir. And, uh, you know, on a final note, on a final note, sir, um, Mr. Obama, President of the United States, I have to throw this out there, sir. I know we talked about this off the air, but we had uh, Barack Hussein, Saddam Hussein Obama Osama finally decided to put the rumors to rest about whether or not he was born in the United States or not by releasing his quote-unquote birth certificate, which could have been easily doctored with Photoshop. Now, anybody who listens to this show knows that I'm not a huge fan of the president. You know, I pray for him and that he, you know, not be terrible. But the truth of the matter is, this isn't, this, to me, it doesn't make sense. He's already president. He's been president for two years. Um... If this is going to come out, this really should have come out in the election time when it was coming. You know, he he refused to release it. People, this whole birther movement has been going on for a long time. Was he born here? Was he born in Kenya? Where was he born? Was he born in Hawaii? You know, he refused to show his birth certificate. And now all of a sudden, here it is. It pops up. But, I mean, my question is, what does it really matter? What did it accomplish, really? Yesterday he went on, he talked for like 40 seconds, and then walked off the stage. The truth is that those people who believe that he wasn't born in this country are not going to believe that this changed anything or believe that he actually is born in this country, and they're going to say was born in this country. And those who support him are going to say, you know what, this is stupid, this never should have happened. See, it's proof he, he was born in this country. Joe, I mean, I think the whole thing is kind of, again, this is a huge thing when he was getting elected and he came out of nowhere and, you know, he was running for office as a Democratic candidate, but... I mean, I hope he really was born here, <laughs> but I would love to see, and I mean love it, I would love to see if 
we can go back in time at some point. Is he really from this country? Was he born here? I would love that, just because waiting so long to to do this kind of under undercuts the fact that, you know, what was the point of showing in the first place? Those who don't believe him will still not believe him, and those who do believe him will think that the whole thing is stupid. JB, give us your thoughts. I think he only produced that birth certificate, or quote unquote, as you say, his own birth certificate. The fact that you know Donald Trump was being like such a a thorn in his side, if you will, about this is that he just had to get it out there and show you know his birth certificate so they could get over this and just move on to the next thing. Because I think that Donald Trump is just uh, you know needling him about this. I, I don't even know if Donald Trump really wants to run for president. And then you know obviously it's a big deal now in the entire media and the entire you know with all the politicians and everything that. You know, was he really born here or wasn't he? And you're right, DG. The fact is that they should really investigate this uh, when he decided to run for president and not wait until he actually became the president to start now talking about this. So I think that, you know, it would be interesting to find out if he was or wasn't, but I think that they they waited way too long to do uh, any type of investigation to see if he was president. I guess, um, you know, you would like to see this resolved, and if by chance he wasn't, a U.S. citizen, you'd want this guy impeached. Of course, because according to the Constitution, you have to be a natural-born citizen of this country. What that means is born on American soil, whether it's in a foreign country or not, it has to be born on American soil, like a U.S. embassy, or, well, I mean, nobody's born in a U.S. embassy, but like an American naval base, like, for example, John McCain, uh, the ancient one who was born, you know, 300 years ago at, uh, in Panama at, at, the, at the naval base. Something like that. Obama, if he was born in Honolulu, you know what, fine. Why not release this earlier? Why wait till now? Why make such a big deal about it at this point? You know, I mean, he's president. If he wasn't born in this country, he should be impeached because you need to at least have been a natural-born citizen of the United States. And if he is, you know, his best bet probably would have been to ignore it and to pretend that this thing just did not happen. You know, what, what, at this point, what's the point of even mentioning that uh, – that, you know, he he was born in this kind of, like, you know, this birth certificate. It could have been forged. It could have been doctored. I mean, who knows? I, I just think the whole thing is ridiculous, and I guess we'll kind of see where it ends up if anybody says anything. But, I mean, if I was President Obama, I just would have just continued like, like nothing happened and just moved forward because releasing it now, it makes you even more skeptical, Joe. Like, why wait all this time to, you know, to bring this forth? Yeah, I just want to mention to our audience and especially to our listener in the White House, Barack Obama, Brock, if you're going to come after somebody, yeah, if you're going to come after somebody, go after DG. And folks, if Pure Gold is not on the air next Tuesday, you'll know why. <laughs> well, you know, regardless, I don't want to make this a political show, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that this whole thing is, you know, enough's enough, Obama. You make us all sick. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we should uh, really. Um, I know that you're 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 tied up on this whole versus everything, but. I'll be honest with you, if the guy could help and try to fix this economy and, you know, hopefully fix gas prices and help reduce the gas prices because, you know, we're reaching $5 a gallon soon, I think that I take that over the fact that this guy may or not may be a U.S. citizen. Well, I think you are not a U.S. citizen, and I'm going to have you impeached from the Pure Gold chair. But, sir, as we close out another episode of Pure Gold, let us... We'd be remiss if we did not mention our sponsors for the evening. We have Easy Pizza. They're a new pizza concept. Handmade 9-inch focaccia-style personal pizza. Choose from three savory crusts, including whole wheat. And, of course, you can choose from four different types of cheeses. You can finish it off with their selection of over 70 fresh toppings. There's no need to call ahead. Easy Pizzas are made fresh before your eyes. They're ready to enjoy in only three easy minutes. 
located at 184 Essex Street in Essex Square next to National Liquidators in Lodi. Thanks to Easy Pizza, fresh just got easy. Make sure to mention Pure Gold when you come in, JB. Folks, our other sponsor for tonight, closing out the month of April at Pure Gold, was by Design Stitch. Looking to promote your business, school, church, or team? Contact Design Stitch for all your embroidery and screen printing needs. Mention Pure Gold for 50% off of all setup charges. We are located at 194 Atlantic Street in Hackensack, New Jersey. Contact us at 201-488-1314 or visit our website, design-n-stitch.com. DG, the month of April, Pure Gold style, is complete. Yes, sir. 40 episodes in the can as uh, I'm about to go to the can. Folks, we appreciate you listening. We thank you for your support. We ask that you be with us for another 40 episodes, another 100 episodes, another million episodes, because Pure Gold is never going off the air, whether Barack Hussein Obama shuts us down or not. We will find a way to keep this bad boy going. Folks, we thank you. That is all the time that we have for this evening, as we have a couple minutes left in our overrun. I'd like to thank you, our listening audience. I'd like to thank... Fitz, our producer, Kelly, our board op, Jose, our media director. I'd like to thank Hans for coming out with us for another great Smallville View segment. And, of course, I'd like to thank myself for being so wonderful. Remember to check us out, folks, every Tuesday and Thursday night. Next Tuesday, we'll have Lori Rubinson joining us, and Todd will be breaking down the NFL draft for about three hours. So check that out, folks. It's going to be a monster. For JB, this is DG of Pure Gold reminding you to, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter where life takes you, you always, and the clock means always, keep it P-G. Good night, everyone.